When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. <laughs> this, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a bureaucrat. Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history or where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. So that the record of history is absolutely crystal clear, that there is no alternative way so far discovered of improving the lot of the ordinary people that can hold a candle to the productive activities that are unleashed by a free enterprise system. Life matters and the issues in life matter because they affect how we live our lives. In this podcast, Pastor Walt McFadden thinks out loud about truth and discerns how it is being applied to everyday life. Thinking Out Loud podcast is a production of City View Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Well, speaking out loud, Pastor Walt, it's just great to be able to have you back behind a microphone and talking about issues that really matter to today's people. And today we're going to talk about socialism. Why socialism today? I'm sure, Larry, that you know as well as I do that it's a hot topic. And all through the summer, we want the hot take on baseball. We want the hot take on football. We want a hot take, meaning we want it what's happening right now. So it's a hot take and it's on socialism. And we have now in the Democratic Party candidates stepping forward and openly proclaiming that they are socialists. And then they tie in this little adjective with it, democratic socialism. We'll talk about that. Socialism at its root stands for the belief that a group of people can work together for the betterment of all the members of that population, not just for the benefit of the few. So what socialism basically does is it takes the resources of a given society and it freezes them there and then it redistributes them. It doesn't account for growth. It doesn't allow for innovation and enlarging the pie. Socialism basically says, however much money is in the economy, it's unfair how it's distributed. Take it, redistribute it. That's the end of it. The problem is once you do that, you get rid of the incentive to innovate and to build new things and create new services. So if, you, if there are five of us in a room and I have $5 and nobody else has any money and I just give each person a dollar, then everybody in the room is better off except for me. That's true. But I now know have, I have no incentive to go out and make five more dollars because you're all just going to take the money. I think a lot of millennials in particular are confused and need a little bit of advice. So we're going to go through some of the history of socialism and we're going to talk about our worldview as Christians and how that ties in. And then we're going to bring it back together at the end and talk about how do we respond to this issue of democratic socialism. I don't know if this is the case today or not, but I remember as a young Christian, socialism was a big thing in church. At least people were talking about socialism, and it had to go back to the book of Acts where everything was in common. Is that kind of where some of the Christians feel today that the church can and should be more socialistic? I've heard many college professors and even pastors now 
out openly saying that the Bible seems to support socialism more than it does capitalism. The idea being that at the bottom or the root of capitalism is greed. There's never enough. You're always growing rich by taking somebody else's land or profit. And socialism, it's sort of the good angel, bad angel. So the capitalism is the bad angel. And we've seen all of these bad things come from capitalism. And then here comes the good angel. And the good angel is socialism. And it's all about sharing. But the socialism that we see being promoted in our culture is very different than the biblical idea of socialism. And we see in the case of the person who's mentioned there in the book of Acts, Barnabas, he willingly sells his land and brings it and puts it at the feet of the disciples. But evidently, he's got a piece of property, an extra piece of property. And he's also probably in the early stages of preparing to go to the mission field. So he sells his land and he gives the money to the church and that's done willfully. But it doesn't say that everybody sold their property and came and collectivized it together. So we want to talk about the idea of socialism, collectivism. I think there's a much stronger biblical case for the idea of capitalism than there is for socialism. It almost seems, however, that everywhere you turn, Pastor Walt, socialism is the norm. I mean, I don't care if it's coming out of a Christian university or the local university. Everybody is really moved toward that equal opportunity for all from pay to position to whatever it is. There doesn't seem to be an individual emphasis on individual growth. It's all about us. That's a hard one to fight in today's society. Sure it is. And like everything else, when it comes to something like being for abortion, you change the language and you say, I'm pro-choice. And then you are for socialism. That That's a negative connotation. They say, no, I'm a democratic socialist. And so people get fooled and they don't have their antennas up. And being in a biblically illiterate church, not just the society, forget society. Let's talk about the church. The church is biblically illiterate. And our worldview is formed more by our political leaning. So we don't want to even investigate what the other side is saying. We just want social media to continually feed our brains with ideas that we already support. So once we're on that path of thinking socialism is better, we're never going to look sensibly at the capitalistic side of it. 43% of 18 to 29 year olds think socialism is okay. Then we begin to demonize people and, you know, we, we demonize rich people and we demonize white people and we demonize, there's always an enemy. There's always somebody out there that's, that's, that's doing something wrong or doing something evil. There are many different types of socialists, but the main idea is that the rich and the powerful don't get to call all the shots when it comes to the economy. And that part of it is, is what bothers me is that we get away from the biblical idea of original sin, that at our core, every one of us are sinful and we are in need of a Savior, Jesus Christ, and that our motives need to be shaped like Jesus' motives. And Jesus lived under a very oppressive government, very terrible time, and that's another interesting story how people like to romanticize the Greco-Roman culture. But it was brutal, there was slavery, over half of the empire were slaves. So that you have, again, this tyrannical government, and people try to 
romanticize it. Okay, so Pastor, let's start looking at some of the history of socialism and how that fits in with today's thinking and how it's influenced so many people in our culture. Let's start with going back to the root. Karl Marx writes his manifesto. Most people agree that we need to improve our economic system somehow, yet we're also often keen to dismiss the ideas of capitalism's most famous and ambitious critic, Karl Marx. He's, you know, rejected different places in Europe. He's accepted in different places. And then somehow he finds his root there in Russia. And Russia up to that point was imperialistic, just like the other nations were. And they found that the Tsar, and, and again, you can look at the governments that precede the communists, very brutal, oppressive government in Russia. And so the people have had enough, and then they're going to rise up and they're going to overthrow this oppressive government. And somebody gets this great idea. Well, wouldn't it be great if we lived in a society where everybody shared everything and everybody, nobody owned their own property? everybody was looking out for the interests of others. So we get communism. But at the root of the Communist Manifesto, there are these particular tenets. And one of those tenets is that religion and communism cannot mix. So God has to be out of the picture because God interferes with our loyalty to our government. So there has to be that highest loyalty to whatever we serve. And Christians will get in the way because their loyalty will go to God before it will the government. And the government won't be able to accomplish what it wants to. And so we start out with a war. Most people don't know this. So we come to the end of World War I and Russia is suffering and people are starving to death, and they have to step out of World War One because, number one, they're being defeated by the German army, but number two, there's so much chaos at home. And then after World War One, there's a long war between the whites and the reds. The whites are the socialists, and the reds are the communists. And this goes on for a few years, and finally the communists win, and then eventually Joseph Stalin comes to power in the 1920s, and the first thing that he realizes is that he has to purge the country. So every Christian, every pastor, every educated person, every person high up in government is shipped off to Siberia. And so we talk about the gulags, and we've seen movies about the gulags. They're real. They existed. And they murdered people by the millions, by just letting them freeze to death and starve to death at the other end of the country. You know, I think that's such a great point, Pastor Walt, because I think when people start talking about socialism here in America, they don't realize that when you talk about socialism, socialism has to get rid of God at some point, right? Because you can't have two people at the top. You've got to make the state God, and you've got to get rid of God as we know him. Right. Then you come up with a a whole new system of morality. Your morality doesn't come from God, and your rights don't come from God. Your rights come from the government. And that's where we're getting mixed up and convoluted in our culture now. We no longer believe that our rights come from God. We believe that our rights come from somewhere. Well, it has to be the state. And so we put our trust into these angels, right? Again, these good angels who are going to do the right thing, And we never seem to learn the lessons of Hollywood and politics. These really are not good people. 
I love the story of Davy Crockett. He went and became a representative for his state. And at the end of his two terms, he went back and eventually died at the Alamo in Texas. But that's the way you did it. You went and you served your state and then you left. And I hail and and appreciate the things that John McCain did in the Vietnam War, but I have a hard time with a person spending their entire life in politics. It was never intended to be that way in the first place. You get in and you get out and then you let somebody come in. And we get this idea, and this is probably part of the reason why Trump was elected, people are sick and tired of this idea that a person has to be in office for 30 or 40 years before they're ready to be president. We've seen people step in historically from all different kinds of roles, step in from the education world or the business world or the military, and some of them have been very fine presidents. So we're putting our loyalty into people who are beholding to special interest groups and lobbyists instead of finding these fresh faces that are really in touch with the people. But back to the whole historical idea. So then communism spread over to China and it was the same idea. They're coming out of World War II and there was loyalty to the communist soldiers in China because they seemed to have better success against the Japanese and so their forces began to grow and grow and then eventually the government that was present there went to Taiwan and Kai-shek was exiled there and they realized they had the same problem they wanted to share everything but they didn't have enough to share with all of these people so there was a deliberate attempt to starve people out and the numbers are in debate but somewhere between probably 30 and 75 million people were starved in communist China in the Great Leap Forward. Isn't that interesting? They call it the Great Leap Forward. And Stalin did the same thing in Ukraine, starved millions of people, deliberately killed them so that they could sort of whittle down and get to this manageable population. Then, of course, from there, we saw through the 50s and 60s, it spreads into Vietnam and the United States sort of throws in the towel on the Vietnam War, and they come in and they massacre everybody that was a part of the government. It spreads over in Cambodia, and Cambodia is the most interesting story of all. If you haven't read the story, you should read it about the killing fields, a population of about 4 million people. When the communist government took over, they killed every single person who had an education, anybody who had been associated with the previous government, any person who wore glasses, any person who had any kind of physical defect. And they massacred these people and they threw them out in the fields. And so you see in the movie, The Killing Fields, the main character is trying to escape communist Cambodia. And he's literally crawling through these fields full of dead bodies. It's gruesome, but they slaughtered about 25% of the national population. If we did that in the United States, we'd be talking about 75 or 100 million people would be massacred. Why does it always come to that in the end? Because like Margaret Thatcher said, the problem with socialism is you always run out of other people's money. And part of the experiment there in in Cambodia, once the communists took over, everything was going to be exactly equal. So they divided up all the land equally and they put lords over the land and each plot of land was going to have its own set of workers. Well, over time, and I talked to a missionary from Cambodia about this one time, he said, over time, the lord 
of a particular field would lose workers. They'd die, they'd get sick. And so he would go and attack the other field, and he would steal and enslave workers from that field. And so this wonderful experiment of sharing begins to spiral out of control to the point where the Vietnamese government actually had to come in and take over the Cambodian government, and then Pol Pot was exiled and never really stood trial or paid for the crimes that he committed against humanity. When you add it all up, you probably are hitting around a 200 million number that were massacred in the 20th century. And there is hardly any difference between socialism and communism. All it comes down to is some property rights and who owns businesses and those kinds of things. The end game is still the same, that we are the good people and we're here to share and we're here to make things equal. Communism, after all, was about equality and harmony. There was nothing wrong with the idea itself. Well, actually, there was. When communists come to power, and that doesn't matter where, let it be in Russia, in Poland, in, in Cuba, in Nicaragua, it doesn't matter, in China. Initially, they destroy about 10% of the population, and that's very specific. This is used not just to kill enemies, they're not enemies, it's to restructure the fabric of society. It's a social engineering. Top intellectuals, best workers, best uh, engineers, they would kill them all. And then uh, they will try to restructure the new society. You're listening to Thinking Out Loud with Pastor Walt McFadden. And so in the process, what I'm hearing you say, Pastor Walt, is that there, there needs to be the death of the individual, because the individual is really the enemy, right? Individualism, capitalism, private investment, all of that is evil in the minds of a socialist. I think you have to place it in that kind of definition for people to understand that if socialism were to take over the United States, so much of this stuff that we're accustomed to would just totally go by the wayside. Exactly. We live in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world, and there's the idea that we have been an imperialistic country. America is not an imperialistic nation. We don't take over nations. We set nations free, and we do have some military occupation in different parts of the world. That's because we are wanted there. We were wanted in Europe. We were wanted in South Korea to stay and keep peace. So, of course, America does some negative things, and that's all we hear is about all the negative things that happen in the United States. But there's one other thing interesting about the biblical basis for all of this. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, one of the laws that God put into place was that once a person owned a piece of land, they were forbidden to sell that piece of land. That piece of land was to be passed on from one generation to the next. And so the idea of property rights being written into the moral code, the idea was that a person could have their own piece of land, that they could have liberty. And we forget about that's one of the things that makes America great is that people can own land. If you think about Europe and its history, part of the reason why people were so drawn to this idea of 40 acres and a mule was that to own 40 acres of land in Europe was impossible for a person. There was no way that you could climb the social ladder and get land. All the land was bought up. 
But once you have a piece of land, you can begin to build a life for yourself. You can put a house on it. You can have a farm. You can raise crops. And God says, don't sell that piece of land. Make sure that you take care of the next generation and pass it on to the next person. So this idea that the Bible leans more towards socialism, I don't see it at all. In fact, I see a much better case for the idea of capitalism. Jesus talked about money more than any other issue in his parables. Then sometimes that can be abused as well when we talk about the prosperity gospel. But the idea is that the resources that have been entrusted to us are to be grown and to be used for his kingdom, not to be entrusted and handed over to some uh, government that we think is good or better than the other. One other part of it is, theologically, in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him. And he says to Jesus, if you bow before me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. It's interesting that Jesus doesn't say to him, the kingdoms of the world don't belong to you. I think the kingdoms of the world did belong to him. Adam was told to go forth and have dominion, but he gave up his dominion. And now the Bible refers to Satan as the prince of the world or the prince of the air. I think the kingdoms of the world do belong to Satan. Theologically, I also teach what the Bible teaches, and that is that God is transcendent. God is outside of creation. So Satan may have control of the kingdoms of the world. And we see this particularly when we get to the book of Revelation, that he comes out of his thousand-year captivity and he raises armies from the kingdoms of the world. And he brings them against the Son of God, and of course they're defeated. But I think he has control over the world right now. This is his dominion because Adam handed it over in the Garden of Eden. But God is transcendent. God is the one who is ultimately calling the shots. So if you can imagine God is outside of creation, but he ultimately is controlling what's happening here in the world. And I think that would give me pause to think that a worldly government or an earthly government could be considered godly or good. I think we need to pause and think about the sinfulness of mankind and who is really in control of the governments of the world. You know, you made me stop and think for just a moment, Pastor Walt, when you talked about socialism and the rule of the masses over the individual. And I'm not sure that's God's pattern because God did not call the masses to rule over people. He called leaders to rule over the people, the priests and the prophets. And of course, in the New Testament, we have the fivefold ministry to lead the masses, to teach people the right way. And I I think that's God's pattern. So we're reversing that in socialism. Yeah, if I were to say that democracy isn't a biblical idea, I think we'd be thrown for a loop. I hear people say all the time, we live in a democracy. And we like that word. It's a positive word, democracy. I have a vote. I have a say. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a representative republic. Because the early founding fathers realized from history, again, they saw in places back through historically in Athens, they had a true democracy. Everybody in the town had a vote. But the masses don't always make the right decisions. 
And so you have authority and you have those over us that are held accountable by the people. It's really a remarkable system. They didn't just sit down in a weekend and write the Constitution and write all of the laws that, that govern us now. It took five or six years before they finally ratified the Constitution. And these were men who were schooled in history and had studied the governments of the world. And isn't it interesting that they didn't come up with the idea of communism? One of the interesting things about the Puritans when they came, they tried to live under sort of the socialistic or communist rule where everybody shared everything and ultimately they found that people were lazy and that people liked getting free stuff and it almost destroyed their culture and they changed that and began to institute more of a capitalistic society that you have to work and you have to earn your way. Young people, and I hate to pick on millennials because I think there's a lot of good things about millennials, but millennials like free stuff. And the problem is that it really isn't free. Somebody is paying for this on the other side. Let's just take capitalism for a moment. We look at a guy and he's parked his yacht in the harbor and we say, what a waste of money. That money could be used somewhere else. Well, that guy built the yacht and how many people did he hire to work on that yacht? And somebody owns a yacht company and so they have a business and they're climbing the ladder and they're moving up and then they're hiring people with skill to work on that yacht. Why is it that America has become the richest country in the world? Because we've given people those kinds of opportunities and the government hasn't held people down. They've given them free reign to earn and rich people give a bad rap all the time. You know, I just like everybody else, I have some rich friends. They are wonderful people. Last year, they say that the top 10 billionaires in the United States gave $4 billion to charity. $4 billion. I mean, how many people making $100,000 a year does it take to get to a billion dollars a year? They are some very generous people. And the Bible never tells us, in fact, another Old Testament law is that when you come to court, you don't side unfairly with a poor person or a rich person. You just decide the case on the facts. And it's really easy to demonize rich people. But the reason why we have a middle class in the United States, which other countries don't have, is because we have rich people that can hire them and pay them a wage that allows them to own property, send their kids to college, build a house, all of those kinds of things. Well, I sure appreciate what you're sharing, Pastor Walt, because it merely makes us stop and think. And so at the end of the day, your advice to our audience is what? Do your own historical research. Look at the history of socialism and communism. Two more examples that I uh, touch on briefly before we close. Everybody looks at Sweden. Sweden, I think their population is about 10 million people. So what works for 10 million people isn't going to work for 320 or 340 million people. But the basis of their economy is capitalism. So it isn't a true socialistic country. And we're also seeing in the European Union, these countries are running out of money. They're not producing enough. They're taxing the rich people too much. And so they're not able to produce the jobs that cause the growth of the middle class. The second is we have this idea that on one side there are the fascists and the other side there are the communists. The fascists and the communists are socialists. It was the Nazi Party, the Socialist Nazi Party. That's what the acronym stands for. They were socialists. It was just a different idea. 
it was more about the nationalistic part. It was more about that the, the Jews, the immigrants, the outsiders were going to purify our race. It had nothing to do with the idea of capitalism versus communism. It was all about nationalizing healthcare, nationalizing business, nationalizing all the goods and services to the people. So when you call a conservative or you call a Republican a fascist, you're using the word in the wrong sense. You're not using the word correctly. They're all one and the same. Socialism, that we trust the government and that the government is good because they give us free stuff. Well, Pastor Wall, thank you for speaking out again. And until next time, thanks for your thoughts. Many people believe that free market capitalism is selfish, even immoral. They say it's about greed, about hunger for money and power, that it helps the rich and hurts the poor. They're wrong. The free market is not only economically superior, it is morally superior to any other way of organizing economic behavior. This podcast is listener supported. Please consider how you can help by going to our website at cvcmpls.org.